Amen. It's good to be here in this pulpit. I really count it a privilege. You know, I moved here about two and a half years ago from California, and I, I still get asked why. <laughs> and especially in a couple months, you know, in January, when all, a lot of you are heading out to California or to Florida or whatever, and I'll get that question. And for me, I love it. I love this time of year. I love fall, and I love when the weather starts to turn nicer. I tell people this all the time. What I love about Minnesota is if it's a good winter, you can get you know, a foot or two on the ground, and then it'll stay for a month or two. I love that because it's so cold. It's cold enough so it stays so it doesn't get slushy. Or... Don't you love that? <laughs> Thank you. You know what cracks me up is the people I talk to, you know, and, and if you don't, I talk to people everywhere. I don't care where I'm at. I just talk to them. And they'll, you know, who start complaining about the weather, and I look at them and I think, you, you realize you're living in Minnesota, right? There are other places where it's not like this. You could move. And they, they, well, you know. And, oh, I love it. I love it. I love the outdoors. I love, uh, love the culture here. I love, I love everything. And I, I love uh, fishing. I've been fishing most of my life. My grandmother was the best fisherman I've ever known. She would always catch the most, the first, the last. You could never top her. It was amazing. And last time I went fishing with her, she was in her 80s. And the same thing. We went out on a deep sea boat out of San Diego and... She got the bonus on the boat. It's amazing. <laughs> she's this little lady, and she just, she can't even pull some of them in. She would catch these things, and, you know, people feel sorry for her, and then she catches just a ton of fish, and she's giving them away, and that's great. So I moved here, you know, and most of, all my fishing has been out there, and, you know, rivers. Not, not a lot of lake fishing. It's, we have lakes in California. There's just not a whole lot. Not like here. And uh, so I also turned 40 last month, and... Uh, Thanks. Is that because I don't look 40 or do and I finally got there? Well, anyway, I turned 40, and it's one of those birthdays where people give you money again. It's like you're a kid again. I don't know what it is. And so I got money. And, uh, you, know, you know, you're a dad. I've got a one-year-old, three-year-old, and, you know, my wife's saying, just spend it on something silly, you know. And so I thought, okay. And I, I love fishing. I hadn't been able to go a lot since I've been here. And so a friend of mine and his son were getting ready to go out on Wiper Lake, and so I thought, oh, I'm going to go. And so I went to one of those, you know, sporting goods stores, and I should have known something was wrong. And I walk in, and there's nobody in the whole fishing department. Nobody. Should have clued into that, right? So I walk down the aisle, and I know what was going on in the clerk's mind. They're thinking, what's he doing there? No one's been in that aisle for weeks. You know, everything's on sale, so maybe they thought, oh, he's just stocking up for next year or something. So I went in there. I saw this lure. Look at this thing. <laughs> you won't believe this. I could, and I thought, my goodness, that's bigger than the f- any fish I've caught in a long time. Can you see this thing? <laughs> I looked at that, and I thought, whatever's going to bite that, I want one of those. That's what I want. I want to catch something that could eat this. That's what I want. I want to put it right here because it's already caught me twice. <clears throat> so I bought that, you know, on some other stuff, and we went out fishing. It was one of those days in October that was still a little cold, you know, in the 30s with the wind's blowing, and, you know, you're all bundled up, and your fingers aren't working quite right, and you're trying to tie these little fishing line. And Now, I thought about it before. I thought, you know, I should just talk to somebody about what to catch out here, or what to fish for, or what, you know, I wanted that thing, you know. You know and so, I, you know, I should have talked to somebody, and there weren't a whole lot of boats out on the water, and now, women, I know you know all about this, but we've got this pride thing going. Okay, I didn't want people to know how much I didn't know, okay? 
so the question would have given it all away. And so, you know, you try to be coy about it. And so, what are you looking, what are you trying to catch? <laughs> so we didn't do that. All day long, not one bite. Caught some weeds. Got a little excited, you know how it is. You know, yeah, uh, it's just weed. No bites. Well, we should have done something, though, right? Should have gone over to one of the boats where they were fishing and at least seen what they're doing. But see, if we got close enough, then they could have seen what we weren't doing right. You know, all this. So we, we didn't do that. Uh, you know, and I've always done it this way. Might as, it might work here. It works there. We do that, right? Nothing all day. Eventually, this poor kid, you know, he's fishing with you know, his dad and his dad's friend. And I don't know, he's eight or nine or something. I don't know. And at one point, he goes, Dad... Do you think there are any fish in here? <laughs> you know, his dad said this line. I've never heard this before, but it cracked me up. I laugh about it every time I think about it. He goes, son, that's why they call it fishing and not catching. <laughs> okay. I just laughed, you know, and the kid goes, oh, okay. You know, I'm thinking, still doesn't do anything for me. I still feel stupid, you know. And so all day long we get in. And then sure enough, I saw my friend the next Sunday at church. And he goes, you know, I, t- I talked to somebody. He talked to somebody. Me, no. I just, kinda, I just didn't tell anybody. He talked to somebody, and uh, they told him. Well, it already turned cold enough, so fish we were going for had already gone down a little lower. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, California, the weather never changes. It's not like a big deal. They're always in the same place. Okay, they went down like 10, 12, 15 feet. So first of all, we were fishing way too shallow. So even if the fish would have been there, who knows if they were or not, if they would have been there, they would have been looking up and thinking, Hmm, that'd be good if it was down here. <laughs> so next thing, I did have a map of White Bear Lake. We weren't even near where they would be because we were fishing in such shallow waters where we were, you know, because it's, it's relatively shallow, most of that lake, and then some parts, they do have some pretty decent holes or whatever, and we weren't even near them. It's pretty funny if you think about where we were. They weren't even close. They weren't even where they could see us. So not only were we way over their head, we weren't even close. I mentioned I'm 40. And, uh, you know, I work with youth. Been doing it now. It's 18 years, like finished 18 years November 1st. And when I think about that, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Thanks. Uh, It's funny to me, though, if you think about it, it's been, because that was after, you know, five years of college, because I changed majors once. Twice, once, you know, uh, two schools, you know, the whole bit, so five years. So if I go back to actually when I was in high school, it's 25 years ago now. It's a long time ago. I mean, I graduated in 1980, so, uh, you know, things have changed. Some of you where I am? Okay. Well, I was thinking about that recently, and uh, my parents are visiting this uh, from San Diego this, this weekend for a couple weeks, and... Um, I remember the day my dad brought home a calculator. Now, I, had heard, I, remember, I remember hearing there were, there were things that would do math for you. Do you remember this? And he brought one home. It was a scientific one, so it was pretty complicated. It was big. It was about that big, and it was really thick. And it came in this nice case. And I still remember the minor argument my parents got into over how much he spent on that. How much he spent on something to do math for him. And I remember as a kid, we were just laughing and thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, we've got to do our homework, but he's, getting, he's cheating or whatever. Remember that? I remember in 10th grade, because that was the first year of high school at my high school, 10th, 11th, 12th, and I signed up for a computer science class. Nobody knew what that would be like. 
And we went into this class, and then they took us on a field trip to UCSD. I went to high school and, and uh, junior high in San Diego, this University of California at San Diego. And they took us on a field trip to see a computer. <laughs> and we went in, and they had these white coats, and it was in this like, really fancy place. And literally, it, filled, it would have filled this stage. It was that big. It had big old reels on it with tape that went around. It was amazing. And they were talking about how much it would do and all that. And, and uh, on and on and on. And they said, but wait, there's a technology coming that's going to make this half the size. <laughs> I know. They go, punch cards. How many of you remember punch cards? All right. Then they started talking about these new things that were going to even be less, but it would have to wait a while. That was floppy disks. But they were talking about the 12-inch ones. How many of you remember those? Yeah. Few they didn't last that long. Then it went right to the three and a half. So now you've got CDs and now you've got the mic. It's unbelievable. Now, for the generations of kids who are in high school and middle school today, they don't even think twice about that. Nothing. I know when I buy a computer program and have to learn how to fig- you know, figure it out, it takes me a while. It's way quicker if I find a 12-year-old. <laughs> they may not understand what I want to do with it or none of that. That's not the point. The point is they can figure out how it works. If I just watch them do it, I'll learn it, and then I can do what I need to do with it. Because they get it. They're raised in a, in a culture that is that way. It's already that way. They just know it. It's part of their ethos. It's what they do. I'll never forget my junior year in high school. Um, I, I went to school a little later, so a lot of my friends were a little older. And uh, this guy, my junior year, he got a car. That was a big deal back then. A lot of kids get cars today, but that was a big deal had an 8-track in it. <laughs> but that was pretty cool. And we would drive around and think we were so cool. And we would listen to, I'll never forget, you know, because he had an 8-track and it had, it had uh, oh, it just slipped my mind. It's so old. Uh, he had like Evie Turnquist and uh, I don't know, a bunch of others. Anybody remember them? Yeah. Oh, the Archers. <laughs> we were so cool. Yeah. All right, now... <laughs> This, this is a true story, okay? We were, I was with some students, and we were in a store that, was, that, that had a, one, of those, one of those really old-fashioned RCA record players, you know, like the little dog listens to and all that. And one, I overheard some kids explaining what that was to other kids. And they said, that's called a record. <laughs> it's kind of like a CD. That's what they said. And then the kids get figured it out when they said that. <laughs> now kids have these things, MP3 players, this big, hundreds of songs. And they can mix and match whatever they want, download them, probably not even paying for them, and listen to them wherever they want, plug it in, interface, match, whatever. It's unbelievable. Cable, do you remember before cable? When I was a kid, we had a black and white TV. Honestly, we did. 12-inch black and white TV. And we had the rabbit ear things on it, you know? Okay, well, I still have that because <laughs> we watch enough TV as it is, and if I had 12 or 100 channels, I don't know what I'd do. So uh, we broke our rabbit ears the other day, so I went into Target, the one over here on 36, over there on 36. I walked into Target, and I needed to buy rabbit ears. So I walk up to the kid at the counter. He's probably 19. I don't know. <laughs> I walk in, and I say, yeah, uh, where do you keep your rabbit ears? <laughs> you should have seen the look on his face. I don't know if he thought I was some kinky, weird dude hitting on him or 
if it was close enough to Halloween, but the look on his face, he was literally in pain trying to figure out what I was talking about. He's like, what? So I started explaining to him, you know, and finally I said, okay, we don't have cable. He goes like that. You don't have cable? I mean, he was like hurting his neck figuring out I didn't have cable. So finally figured out what I was talking about. He had no idea where they are. None. So he goes, well, let's go find them. <laughs> okay. So we toured uh, Target, and we found the two they had. It's a different world. Kids are in a different world. Cell phones. Kids have them now. That little announcement I had to make about kids turning them off, we forget to make it in youth, and then we pay for it because the kid will get a call. About what? I don't know. What's so important? But can you imagine doing life without them now? I mean, California recently passed a law that couldn't talk, you know, like this way on the phone, on the freeway. You should have seen people going through it. Like, their life had ended because they can't talk on the phone on the freeway. It's amazing. Remember before MTV? Remember those, that whole campaign, I want my MTV? Remember trying to figure out what it was and why anybody wanted it? <laughs> Young people today wouldn't know life without it. It defines them. MTV does a better job of researching young people than we do. Recently, we took our team to a Willow Creek Summit, or a, a conference in Willow Creek, our youth uh, leadership team. They actually interviewed the guy who does the marketing research for MTV. Because they know more about students than we do. It's all about money. It's a market now. You've got MTV and BET and CMT and all these video they find out what kids are wearing, what they like, what they don't like, whatever, and they figure it out because they want to sell stuff to them. It's amazing. They reflect the culture, and then they lead the culture, something that didn't even exist when I was a kid. Have you ever heard of Hip Hop Nations, a book we came out recently? It talks about how our youth culture is, you know, for some of us, you know, we might hear a rap song, and it's really hard to figure out what they're saying. We've got to listen to it a ton of times, and we keep thinking, boy, I wish they'd just give me the words. Kind of like... Back in the day where there used to be subtitles, you see a movie with subtitles. Remember how that was? And it's so annoying at first, and then eventually you don't even notice you're reading it, and you're just moving right along. Kids don't have that problem. They know. It's part of their culture. They grow up thinking about that. It's just, it's just what they do. I grew up, like I mentioned, in San Diego. My high school was actually about three or four miles from the border. Uh, so for me, you know, Mexican culture, I just kind of grew up that way. And we had a lot of uh, race issues in my high school, mainly between between African-Americans and Mexican-Americans, a lot of animosity. So there was, there was trouble. Um, I remember the day a kid got stabbed in middle school and died, and the, that kid went to prison. It was tragic. It was terrible. But when we heard who did it, everybody knew who he was. We knew why he would do it, and we knew what happened, and we knew what group he belonged to, and it was very clear. It was very easy to navigate through that and stay safe. It never crossed my mind one time, ever, that someone might, that I might die eating lunch. Never crossed my mind. Our kids think about that. It happens all the time. When I was a kid, uh, we did drills for thermo, uh, thermonuclear annihilation. <laughs> Remember that? Okay, most kids don't know what that is, first of all. But they do know that an Islamo-fascial terrorist might blow them up at the mall. They do know it. It's a different world. Things are different. Think about pornography. When I was a kid, I remember my first time. How many of you? 
Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, one guy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's kind of typical Christian honesty. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I remember, um, like I said, we grew up next to Mexico. We used to go over there for a lot of services because it's cheaper, you know, gas. I remember at the time it was 35 cents a gallon. So, you know, you go fill up your car there. Make sure you had another filter just in case there's water in the fuel. But another thing we used to do is go get our hair, haircut there. Um, 25 cents, you know, for a quarter. So I'd go with my cousins. There'd be a bunch of us, you know, and could all get a haircut for a quarter. I remember sitting there one day, and, and my cousins were all passing around this boxing magazine. So I wanted to see. And I got us all in trouble because when it came to me, what they'd done is put a porno in there, you know, and hit it. And dads were clueless. And I, of course, go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we're all in trouble. You know, my dad was here in the first service and I asked him if he remembered that, and he remembers, you know. It's my first time. You had to go buy it back then. Do you remember? You had to at least be in public at some point, at point of sale. And then, you know, maybe it ended up under the mattress or you found it, you know, by a dumpster or whatever. But at some point, it had to go in public. That's not true anymore. Because a kid can be innocently surfing the Internet or just researching a paper and pop up and bam, their innocence is stolen. That image is for forever embedded in their mind. You can't help but, re- but see it. It happens today all the time. Whoever thought there would be soft porn or, oh, I'm sorry, a lingerie show, primetime TV, on the networks, through my rabbit ears. <laughs> Did I mention kids have their own TVs in their rooms today? Who thought? It's a different world for them. It's different than it was when I was a kid. There's a, there's a uh, level of neglect and abandonment that didn't exist back when we were kids. And I'm not, I'm not making a judgment call at all on women working or not. That's not my point. My point is kids are alone a lot more than ever. They say that still the most influential person in a kid's life is their parent. The problem is most of the parents aren't in the kid's life. They've abdicated the parenting guiding role that was intended and they've bought the modern pop culture's idea that, oh, you figure it out for yourself. Make your own choices. Follow your heart. That whole Disney cliche. You figure it out. You'll know what's right. They don't. And parents aren't parenting. So because of that, they go to the second most influential person in their life and that's their friends. It's true. Kids today are different. Think about what the gaming and the, the video games and all the computer gaming and all that does and the internet surfing and the chatting over the internet. Think of how that takes a kid who used to be socialized in a totally different way into a very alone place. They're different. Teen suicide, teen pregnancy, incarceration, all that stuff is different than it was when I was a kid. It's like their innocence has been stolen. There's less role models. Do you remember when you found out Babe Ruth wasn't a great guy? Do you guys remember? The icons and the heroes we used to idealize, and for sure we didn't really ever know them. Of course we didn't. We didn't know them. They were just some great sports figure or a great humanitarian or whatever. And now those images have been dragged in through the mud and pulled down, and obviously they're not great people. Can you think, do you remember the last time you felt good seeing a kid be a fan of somebody? I'm scared to death. When I see a kid wearing a jersey of somebody and I think, wow, when when is that guy going to screw up and it's going to be all over the news and now who they thought they were following isn't really that great. 
Our society is more racialized than ever in history. It's kind of a new term for me. I'm not talking about racism. I'm not talking about the overt KKK type of... What I'm talking about is our race, our society is separate. It's like part of who we are now. It's been proven over and over that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in our country's day, our week. Of course, we want to see that changed here, but... It is what it is. We live in a post-Christian world as far as our kids are concerned. There's no, kids don't have a common sense of what Christianity is about. They don't know the basic stories anymore. Most of our middle schoolers, they just don't know. Used to be, you know, you could refer to Noah or David and Goliath or whatever. They've heard the name maybe. They have no idea what the story is about. None. Most of them don't know. We've passed through that time. It used to be even if you weren't a Christian, you at least sent your kid to Sunday school. It's a good thing. Now you're letting kids choose, and nobody wants to do that. There is no shared moral code among kids. Everything is up for debate or right or wrong. You think you're right? Oh, okay, that's good. It's right for you. That works for you? Okay. But this is right for me. Now, with all that said, it's pretty negative, I know. Let me tell you some very cool things about these kids. Something that I've seen in the last 18 years that I can't tell you how excited I am about it. Because these things are very true and very exciting. There is a heightened sense of spirituality among young people today that I have not seen ever in my ministry. Kids want something spiritual. Now you can see it in a sense in, in how popular shows like Charmed and you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and you know, the Harry Potter thing. It's just huge. It's spiritual. It's real. They want something like that. They want to see it. The problem is, they're not real discerning about what is good about what's spiritual and what not. These kids are hopeful. Unlike generations that have gone by, these kids have a hope. They actually think they can do it better than us. I love that. They're ready to take on the world, and they think they can do it. They're not put off by the failures of society past. They're ready to go for it. These kids, like I said a minute ago, they... They don't believe that all truth is true. But what I like about that is they're investigating what's true. I think it's better when a kid doesn't just take it hook, line, sinker and just believe it and not know what their faith is about. These kids do investigate it. I like that because it's a more reasoned faith in the end. They're looking for something to believe in. Not only that, when they find it, they're committed. They're passionate and committed to a cause. And they'll do things for Christ that I haven't seen kids willing to do in a long time. They'll stand. I mean, it used to be you just try to guilt kids and prepare them and get them to stand up in class and proclaim their faith. Kids do that. It's very cool. It's almost like they're rebelling against the lack of traditional values and the things that we've seen over the past few years. They want to see something that's real and works. You notice the extreme everything? If you can sell anything, if you just slap extreme on it. <laughs> As if your soft drink is going to be extreme, but I drink this. It works. One other thing I really like about this culture is its multicultural nature. That hip-hop generation is true. They know everything about the multicultural mix that's present in our society today. Look at who their heroes are. If you want to sell a tennis shoe, who do you go to? You go to an African-American athlete. It's pretty cool. And these kids know who those people are. You think about the Venus and Serena, Michael, Tiger, those names, kids know who those people are. 
I think what's happened is as a church and as a society, we've been fishing with the wrong bait. Because those kids are different, and we forgot about that. We forget that, yeah, they don't look like us, they don't dress like us, they pierce things. <laughs> it's the eyebrow one that always gets me. I look at that and think, doesn't that hurt? And, you know, I don't even feel it. Well, it hurts. It just looks painful to me. You notice how many kids have tattoos today? When I was a kid, you know, I grew up in a Navy town, but, you know, almost every sailor, of course. But you didn't see it in youth. It's huge. It's part of their culture. Now, all that said, I, I feel like we're missing something, and I feel like the church a lot of times doesn't have a great reputation in their world. Just let me share a couple things. There's a... You ever seen that bumper sticker that's got a cross with a red line and a, through it? You seen that? You ever wondered what that was about? It's a band called Bad Religion. Doesn't that say it all? Not real impressed with the way Christianity's presented itself. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It said, Dear God, tell me if you don't do this. I speed up to see what they look like. Do you do that? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I just want to see who thinks that. What do they look like? As if it's all the same. I don't know. Anyway, it said, Dear God, and then it said, Please save me from your followers. Yeah. These, this is a generation, like I said, that are, they, they want something spiritual. Not only that, if you couple that with the statistic that Greg mentions often, and that's the Billy Graham Association kind of polled people who are coming to Christ in their crusades, what they found was about 85% of them had had, had an experience with God before the age of 18. You put those two things together, we, we, we've got something here, something to work with. But the problem is the, the product we're presenting, the lure we're throwing out there, isn't that appealing to them. Probably we're just fishing in the wrong depth. I don't know. But it's going right over them, and they're saying, hmm, interesting, I'm not biting. But they would if we presented it right. Or worse, maybe we're not fishing at all. Now, please hear me on this. I obviously work with young people. I care about them. I know that. I'm very used to people saying, why? Used to that. It doesn't bother me. I've been doing this 18 years full time. So I'm used to people saying, you're going to get a real job eventually? <laughs> Do you just play with kids all day? Um, you going to be the real pastor someday? I, I don't mind that. That's not my problem. Believe me also, I understand that where you're at in life, you don't probably come in contact with young people very often, high school and junior high kids. I understand that. It's a stage of life thing. Maybe your kids are already grown. Maybe your kids are not quite there yet. Maybe you just got out of that stage of life. And believe me, I work with young people. I know how it is. Middle school is not the greatest time of life for most people. You'd rather just put it behind you and forget about it. I understand that. And even high school, I mean, there's a certain segment of people who they enjoyed it and it was great for them. Remember them? <laughs> All right, well, that's not most of us, so we're done with that. We'd like to move on. I understand that. High school and middle school kids are not usually part of our lives. With all that said, though, I know where I'm at in life. I don't, I don't really just, I don't socialize with young people very often, just not naturally. Like I mentioned, I've got a one-year-old and a, two, and a three-year-old. I mean, usually if I'm seeing young people outside of a ministry context, it's usually at the mall because that's the only place that, you know, is warm and we can walk around on a Friday afternoon this time of year. I see what happens. A couple guys walking down the aisle with their puffy coats and maybe a bandana, what happens? 
You smile at them as you walk by because you don't want to make them angry. And then as they walk by, I watch the looks on people's faces, and they look at them, and I'm, I know what's going through their mind. They're thinking, stupid kid. Why, don't, why can't they act right? Why can't they dress right? Why do I have to pierce that? <laughs> uh, you know, or whatever. I, I understand that. But I'll tell you what's going through my heart. Christ died for them like he died for me. And who knows where they're going to spend eternity. It could be the same thing if it's a group of cocky, cocky football players. I know how that goes, too. And they're pushing each other around and being loud. And you're thinking, why don't they grow up and act right? I know. Do you know what's going through my mind? Where are they going to be five hours from now? Because it's going to be 11 o'clock. Where are they going to be? What are they going to be doing? And who are they going to be doing it to? That's what I want to know. And who's being Christ to them? You know what I think of sometimes? I, when I see those situations playing out, I think of the story of blind Bartimaeus. Do you remember that? Just a quick, quick reference here. G- Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, huge crowd following him. The disciples, everybody's there. And as he's walking there into Jericho, there's a blind guy. Blind people weren't very popular in those days. They didn't look right. They couldn't work. They didn't access the norms of society. He hears that Jesus is passing by, and what does he do? He starts yelling out for him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I propose to you that that's what young people are doing, that there's a heightened sense of spirituality. They want it. They want that Jesus. And what do the people do in that story? Shut up. You're being too loud. You're not asking in the right way. You don't look quite right. Jesus doesn't love tattoos. Whatever they're saying... Just be quiet. And what does Bartimaeus do? He kind of does what teenagers do. He gets louder. And he doesn't let that stop. And he says, Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. And then Jesus stops and he turns to Bartimaeus. And then what do the people do? Classic. Oh, hey, hey, he's, we want to talk to you. <laughs> and they, then they're all nice to him. And, Here, stand up. Let me hold your coat. And, Wouldn't it be nice if, if we could just sign Jesus up for this? Wouldn't it be nice? And if you see one of those kids at the mall, we could just say, hey, Jesus, could you go talk to that guy? Do, do your Jesus thing on him. Get him fixed up. Wouldn't that be cool? Don't we think like that sometimes? He, he didn't set it up that way. He set it up for you to, to do it, for you to be Jesus. He came. He's redeemed us. And that's not where it ends. Now he, he puts it on our heart to talk to them. Now I get these calls all the time and I do not want them to stop. So please don't think that's what I'm saying. But I get these calls and I want you to understand he, he didn't really set it up for me to do it either. But, but this is what happens. Someone will call and say, hey, I got this kid. He lives down the block from me. He's in big trouble. Can you, basically what they're saying is can you come fix him? And I'm more than willing to try. But what goes through my mind every time is he doesn't know me. He probably doesn't care what I think. I, positional authority, not an issue. It's not like I can walk into his room and say, hey, I'm youth pastor. That means you listen to me. <laughs> I got the answers to, you, to the questions you've got. It doesn't work like that. The way it works is if I could establish a relationship with him over time, then yeah, he might listen to what I have to say. I could throw the Bible at him all day long. It's not going to happen. You have relationship. What's the way to get this done? I want you to look at it like this. Young people really, if you could think of them like this, they're like another culture. It's almost like they're another mission field. 
Think of South America. Think of India. Whatever works for you. How do you reach them? You got to learn the language. You got to study the culture a little bit, right? Find out what they're into, what they're about, what, what's important to them, what makes them tick. Then find a way to translate what's been real for you into what's real for them. <laughs> I'll never forget when I was a youth in high school and my youth pastor would get all weepy singing Kumbaya. <laughs> He'd be grinding that guitar, <laughs> crying, and we'd be sitting. Does that mean anything anyway? What do those words mean? And really, I mean, we sit in there and we go, well, must be something. He's, he's enjoying it. So let's sing it and see if anything happens. Uh, you know, the question that young people are asking from you is this. I mentioned that they're spiritual. And I mentioned that they're open to this. They want to know if your religion works. They want to know if it works for you. They're not asking you to say, yo, yo, they're not asking for you to be hip and cool like them. They really don't care. In fact, if you do act like that, <laughs> you just look stupider. So don't, don't do that. They want to know if what you have really works. They watch you. They want to know if your religion works. Does it work in your marriage? Does it work for you at work? Does it work for you? We, we need to have the right bait. That's what really matters. Now, I mentioned it'd be best to do missions. Just treat them like a mission field. Honestly, that's what we do in our youth ministry. Students are the best people to reach students. They're the best ones to communicate life and faith with them. That's what we do. We set it up that way. Our, our middle school service, we had one during this service, and we have one at 845 during the other Sunday morning service. Kid walks into those services. He sees a student helping lead worship. Students. It's great. And we share the gospel in a fun, creative way with them. It's a place where they can bring their friends and not be worried that they're going to be embarrassed because it'll be fun. We do virtually the same thing on Sunday night with high school from 6 to 8. Again, right over, I keep pointing that way because the multipurpose room we use is right over there. They see students, students leading worship, students involved in putting the service on. Students, they see them. A huge part of our program is our volunteers we use, adults to get to know kids to share Christ. Now, Chris Brooks, uh, he runs, he's our associate pastor who runs those Sunday services, and Jordan Schroeder is our associate pastor who runs our small groups program. The whole idea behind that is they meet midweek. We ask so much of our small group leaders, five hours. Two hours for their, their Bible study during the week, and two hours to come to one of these services, then another hour to connect with these kids sometime outside of that. Because kids don't care who you are, how hip and cool you think you are. But we want to communicate Christ to them, so we're getting to know them. And we're getting to know them in their culture. And it's safe like that. I just talked with a student on my way in here. I'm not going to embarrass him and say his name or even what small group he's in. But as I'm talking to him, I didn't recognize him. So I start talking to him, and I said, well, uh, he doesn't even come on Sundays to, to youth. But he goes to a small group. So I said, well, who invited you? And he named a kid. He may not have felt comfortable in this setting. I don't blame them. As, as unobtrusive and unpretentious as our church is, and I love our church for that, it's still not necessarily a place where every kid's going to feel comfortable. But if, if they could go to a group that's meeting at this guy's house, and there's some guys that, wanna, that talk about stuff, they'll go. And then they, they find Christ. That's exciting to me. And then you add to that the events we do where kids can bring their friends and get to know other Christians. In addition to that, on the other side of that wall is about, well, about 80,000 square feet 
And about 40,000 of that, we're going to dedicate to a huge, using my analogy, the fishing thing again, a huge net. And we're going to drag that net all through this area in St. Paul, and we're going to use it. We're going to create a place where young people feel comfortable to come and hang out and have a good time. It'll be for them. Got to warn you, you may not like it over there. It may not look right. It may be... Yeah. It may be too loud. It may not be your kind of music. It, it probably won't be mine. That's not the point. The point is we want kids to come and feel comfortable there. And we're going to do all the recreation stuff and reach out that way, you know, with volleyball, basketball, ping pong, curveball, ball, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're going to do also, though, is we're going to have, you know, a good state-of-the-art sound and lighting so we can do a concert in there that will attract kids that don't, won't normally come in here. We, we do want to do a Christian, you know, dance club type of thing where, where we can reach out to that segment of kids. I, I was just reading yesterday in a magazine about this thing that's going on in England, England, and one place in the United States, at least according to this magazine, they call it a Christian worship rave. You know what a rave is? It's where the music's pounding and the lights are going and it's so much and they're dancing to the point of oblivion practically. But they do it to the glory of God and it's all worship. And people are coming to Christ who would never darken the door of this building. And frankly, they, may not, they probably wouldn't feel comfortable in our youth service either. But if we could have the right bait to catch those kids over there, then they'll be in the kingdom. And then think about that. As they start then reaching out to their friends who are like them, how cool is that? Oh, man. And in addition to that, we want to do other things that would help some of the kids in this area who don't have all the access to education and some of the things that for us we take for granted. So we want to do tutoring and counseling, computer center, job training, all those kind of things that would be something for them. Let me talk about you for a minute. I don't know how many of you come into contact with young people day to day. I don't. Maybe it is a niece or a nephew or someone you know. Maybe it's just the kid who sells you your Big Mac. I don't know. Here's what I'm asking from you. I would like you to change the way you feel if you would just care. I'm not saying you don't before. It's just that they haven't been part of your life before. This is what I would like for you to do. When you <laughs> Your initial reaction to say is that stupid kid, instead, could you pray for him? Could you realize the fact that their experience in life is way different than yours? And the things that they've been exposed to in life, they've already been exposed to so many adult issues at tender ages and they're not equipped to handle it. Could you just pray for them? And when you're skipping through channels and you pause on BET or MTV for a second and you go, your initial reaction, and believe me, I feel the same way. Every time I see one of these you know, pop stars who start out so clean and nice and pure, the next thing you know, she's wearing hardly anything and singing about rub me the right way. I feel it too. I don't want our kids into that. Could you pray for them? Because frankly, that wasn't on TV when I was a kid. Would, would you pray for our youth ministry? Would, would you pray for Jordan and for Chris and please pray for our volunteers? They give so much of their time away from their families, you know, financially. Can you pray for them? Because they're doing it. They're on the, on the grassroots level talking with kids. Could you pray for this? We call this the promised land over here. Could you pray about that? (laughs) Could you pray for parents of teenagers? 
my heart breaks every time a mom comes to me and said, says, my kid stopped talking to me yesterday. He's 12. It happens. It's natural. It's hard. <laughs> and you cut, someone comes and says, I thought I had it all figured out, this parent thing, and then my kid just got arrested. Can you pray for him? It's hard. Would, would you do me a favor and stand with me? Let's bow our heads. As your heads are bowed, I just want you to think of somebody. And I know, I know you all know somebody. There's a face that God's going to put in front of your mind. Father, we come before you today, a humble people, thankful for what you've done in us. God, I pray for these people in this, this crowd today, and I pray that you would, you would change their focus and kind of their mindset toward young people, that they would care in a very godly, Christ-like way. I pray that their first thought would be to pray and have compassion for kids who are, who are not living right. Father, I pray for the kids, even right now, who are on their minds, the faces that they're seeing right now, the situations where they know they have that interaction. Father, I pray for these people in this room that they would, that they would have a desire to share what's real and meaningful in their relationship with you with that student on that student's level. That you give them the right words to say, that you'd give them the opportunities to say it, and that it would change their interaction with those kids. I pray that in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for our young people, the young people first who are in our church, who are learning more and more about loving and serving you every day and reaching out to their friends and making this thing work. I pray, God, that you'd give them boldness, that you'd protect them from temptation, that you'd give them opportunities and the words to speak. God, I pray for the students who are, who are considering Christ right now, that you would help push them over that edge, that you would draw them to yourself. Father, I pray for our youth ministry, for Jordan, for Chris, for our volunteers who work so hard, that you protect their marriages, that you would, you would help them find time and resources to continue to do this ministry. I pray that you would bless them in incredible ways. Finally, Father, I pray for the youth center and all that's going into the planning and organizing and fundraising for that dream. Finally, Father, I want to pray for lost young people who are exposed to so much so soon. God, I pray for them that you would, that you would save them and bring them into our fold. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for being here and indulging my passion today. If you would like prayer, thank you. God bless you. Thank you.